Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Christmas at Wheaton Bible Church. Guess what our theme is this year? Oh, it's peace on earth. Yeah, there it is. There it is. You saw it in that beautiful little transfer that we had there visually. Peace on earth. Peace on earth. Peace to me. Peace in my heart. Peace in my world. Peace in your world. Peace in our relationships. It's one of the great Bible themes. It's one of those words that has masses of meaning attached to it. And so we're going to give the whole time of Advent uh, to this subject. In fact, so that you can look forward to it, because this is really our gift to you at Christmas, is uh, Rob and I and then Phil toward the end of the month, we're all working diligently on these messages. You can see how the music and the prayers are already all tying in. But let me show you where we're going to go on this concept of peace. Today's theme is entitled, uh, oh, I call this God's Peace Plan. That's pretty clever, don't you think? God's Peace Plan. Go ahead, write that down. God's peace. All right. Peace on earth. Now, I've been asked to take the theme today of, of just making sure that we can have peace in every region of the world. That'll be easy. All right. Then on December 7th, Rob's going to come up and he's going to talk about finding peace in relationships in our lives. Very much needed. I'll be back talking about inner peace. I get a peaceful, that, that kind of peace so you can have it in your heart. All right. And then on the 21st and the 24th, we'll be talking about finding peace with God. And that's going to be especially valuable for any of you that are here this morning and you, you've never come to know God or you're on your way back toward God. Those weeks will be especially meaningful. Then finally, we'll sum it all up after Christmas with the concept of transforming peace. The concept is so large, it, it deserves this kind of time that we're going to get, give to it. And so I'm sure looking forward to it, and I hope that you are as well. And uh, would you now do this for me? You have in your program folder a little thing called the Peace on Earth prayer card. Because here's our hope. Our hope is that you're not just thinking about this for yourself, but you want to give this away. What we're doing on Sunday mornings here at church during the Advent season can be a great gift to friends and relatives and associates, neighbors. This morning as I was finalizing my preparations, I actually wrote down my list. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. These are all neighbors. And uh, I love them. We love them. And so I'm gonna, I started praying for them this morning at about six o'clock and I'm going to be praying every day. And then even next week, we'll be with all them at a neighborhood party. And I'm going to hand out the invites that we have. We've got great invites out there on tables. Take as many of them as you need. But I'm just hoping that this will be a time when many people who are far from God or not quite with Him yet can come to Him at our church. So hope that you'll consider that. All right. Let's talk about peace in, in the macro. I'm going to do a couple minutes on that before I get into my main theme, which is peace uh, on earth, which, as I said, should be easy. Um, the word peace itself is used 91 times just in the New Testament alone. It's a major theme of, of Scripture. It's a massive idea, and it has many, many elements to it. Think about this, if you will. We think of uh, the longing for peace in many different categories. First of all, we think about it in societies, right? And we'll put that up there for you now. Peace in societies, nations, between nations, ethnicities, 
races. Once again, just these weeks, we're aware that the racial divide is still in our own culture. Gender, generations, class systems, even the environment itself is in a time of violence. And at every place, we long to see the kind of elimination of conflict between peoples, don't we? We cry out for that. We pray for it. Well, that's a major aspect of this concept of peace in the Bible. Here's the second one. Peace is also something that really reaches deep into us relationally. Um, our, our longing and our need to be reconciled with God to know God personally, to experience His presence, to sense that He is with us. As the, as the, the team was singing this morning, I'm clinging to you, I'm crying out to you, God. That relationship to be all that it's meant to be. And then, of course, in our networks of other human beings, family, friends. Boy, if, if, if I've got a slight conflict in a relationship with somebody that I care about, it just messes up my whole life. You too? It just weighs on you. Well, what does the Bible have to say about peace? Elimination of conflict in our relationships. We're going to hit on that too. And then finally, we talk about the importance, the mandate, the longing for peace in our own hearts. To have peace with me. I'm in conflict with me almost every day. How about you? Do you talk to yourself? I talk to myself all the time. Why did you do that? I don't know why I did that. <laughs> why did you think that? I don't know. The devil made me do that one. I, yeah. And so just finding this inner kind of peace that God intends us to have. You see what I mean by the term peace? It's magnificent. It's broad. It's, there's a largesse to it. And we're going to do the very best we can from the scriptures these next weeks to talk with you all about it. All right, let's, uh, let's, let's look at a definition for peace now. I've been trying to find one that I thought would really work. And I found this one from the great Merrill Tenney, the New Testament scholar. Um, a spirit of tranquility and freedom from inner or outer disturbance. You like that? A spirit of tranquility... And freedom from inner or outer disturbance. Note what it doesn't say. It doesn't say peace or tranquility instead of disturbance. It says in the midst of disturbance. We, we never get away from it in this life. There's no way we can get rid of problems. Uh, we think we get rid of problems when we go on vacations. And sometimes vacations cause more problems than when we were working. Uh, it, 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 uh, we think, uh, holidays, holidays, holidays. Oh, we'll all be happy and at peace. I had so much difficulty getting the blue lights to, sh to, to work last night on the blue tree outdoors. Oh, my goodness. Rob me of my peace. I said a prayer. God of heaven, God of light. Reach down. Lighteth the blueth bulbs. And then they have the magic of these little red guns, you know. You put it in the sockets. You gives it a shock. They went on. Hallelujah. Everything robs us of our peace. Everything will get in the way. But a spirit of tranquility and freedom from inner or outer disturbance. Peace despite hardship. Not instead of it. But peace despite it. Oh, Lord. Long for that. All right.
Let's start off in the scriptures. Let's go to the Christmas story. And so please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. We're going to be dealing with both today. The page number that we're on in the uh, scripture that you have there in, in the backs of the chairs is on page number 1014. 1014. I'm going to read two passages here. And these are the two places in the Christmas story where peace is spoken of. So let's start there, shall we? All right. Chapter 1, verse 78 and 79. Who's speaking? A man by the name of Zechariah. Who is Zechariah? Zechariah is John the Baptist's father. And John has just been born, and Zechariah is declaring a prophetic song or poem about not only John, his son, who will prepare the way of the Lord, but for the one who is coming. So we, I take you to the end of his song in verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the path of peace. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. I love that. It's an analogy of creation, if you will. And it's linking this great one who is coming with creation. The living sun that shines into the darkness. Boy, the world is dark. The world is full of pain and sorrows and torture and violence. But it talks about the sunrise is coming and the sunrise will shine light into the darkness. And the, and the sunrise will bring meaning and hope and understanding of the deep shadow of death. Finally, the sunrise who comes, this one who is coming, will guide our feet into the path of peace. I like that picture. I, I need to be guided into the path of peace. It's really easy for me to not live in peace. Man, to learn this thing. I need someone just like learning to walk, guide us into the way of peace. It says that Jesus will do that. Interesting. Now jump down to the next chapter. Chapter 2. You'll be more familiar with this passage because this is the one that Linus says at the end of the Charlie Brown Christmas story, okay? And he quotes directly from Luke chapter 2. It's just a marvelous passage starting in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. He is the Son of David. Remember how Rob and I keep talking about that in our preaching? Uh, look across the page to chapter 1 again. And, and look at verse like 28, 29, 30 there in that region. 32. 
when, when the angel is speaking to Mary about the child that's going to be born, it says the Lord God will give him the throne of who? His father David. So this one that is born in the city of David comes from the line of David. About 42 generations of biological birth take place between David and this coming of this one. But this is the one who is coming. And he will, it will be a sign for all peoples. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, here's the word, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And on earth, peace. Peace on earth. On earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is the promise. This is prophecy. This is the angelic host declaring to the shepherds and to the world this one. He will guide us into the path of peace. And he will be the one that will literally give us peace within this Jesus who is coming. Wow. Wow. How's it working? Is it working? Is this working for you, these promises? Or do you find yourself sometimes saying, man, I got more stress than I got peace. And as far as I can tell, uh, I don't think God started yet bringing peace on earth. I mean, after all, look what's going on in our world. For me, it's more like there is no peace on earth. There wasn't peace in his day. There's no peace today. Just think of wars. Just in the 20th century, 165 declared wars between nations. 180 million people have died in wars just in the 20th century. And then a new word about 20 years ago came on the horizon. It's the word terrorism. Did you know there's a global terrorist database? Yeah. If you spend any time there, you'll find out that in the year 1970, there were about 500 acts of terror that occurred in a year. About 500 acts of terror in a year. In 2013, the database says there were over 12,000 acts of terror in the world. Most of them happen in other places, but not all of them, do they? Some right here amongst us. What is going on? Where is the peace that has been promised? All I have to do is say names like Hezbollah, Hamas, Al-Qaeda, ISIS. It's enough. There is no peace. This week, we saw, last couple weeks, actually started three months ago, Ferguson, Missouri. And suddenly we're aware as we watch demonstrations in, in, in L.A. and in Chicago and in New York, as well as St. Louis, that there's a whole group of people in our country that feel, still feel things are a lot more wrong than they are right. And that there's a lack of justice. I'm not making a comment on Mr. Brown's situation. I'm just talking generally. I have a lot of great friends who are African-American. I know what they're talking about. 
it still ain't right. It still ain't right out there. And then, from one of our foremost universities, the University of Virginia, Thomas Jefferson started the University of Virginia. And yet we hear this week of um, gang rape that takes place in the year 2012. And evidently the school kind of tried to push it down as if, I don't know, as if, I don't know. I just know there's no more severe act of violence that I can think of than rape. And gang rape? Some of our, quote, finest students. What's wrong with us? Where is the peace? Even creation itself is in a period of upheaval. Um, <laughs> we were doing some research on this. There's a thing that came out on November 2nd called the, the Climatic Change Synthesis Report. Incidentally, the synthesis report is 3,345 pages. I read it instead of my Bible for several months. <laughs> but it, it, it just came with what we all know. I mean, the seas are rising. Fresh water is declining. Species are moving toward extinction at rates never before seen in the, in the history of, of this earth. Uh, people like Stephen Hawking saying we've got 100, 200 years tops before this planet won't sustain it. I, it. Just violence, severity everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. And so forgive me for being a little bit more like Charlie Brown than uh, Linus at this time. I don't know where the peace is. I'll just be straight with you. Uh, I'm not sure Luke 1 and Luke 2 are happening very much yet. I was also, as I've been working on this, I was haunted by one of the Christmas carols. Maybe we'll sing it later this month. But it's one of my favorite because it was written by one of the great poets of American history, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And Longfellow wrote that carol that goes, I heard, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. And the reason it kept clinging to me is the end of each stanza, it ends with um, peace on earth, good will to men, right? I heard the bells on Christmas Day, the old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat. Sing it with me. Of peace on earth, good will to men. It's kind of like a lullaby. It's just so sweet. You'd sing it to your babies until you get to verse 3. Verse 3, Longfellow carves out of the hope and the optimism. And he says, And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. Hate is strong, mocks the song. Of peace on earth, good will to men. And I go, that's it. That one's right. You know when Longfellow wrote that? During the Civil War. He was like poet laureate of our nation at this time. He wrote the Song of Hiawatha, the Midnight Ride of Paul Revere. I mean, Longfellow, major poetic light. And he wrote this poem on December 25th, 1864, right in the height of the Civil War. He saw it. He felt it. He knew what was happening. You know how many 
soldiers we lost in the Civil War? Over 600,000. Now, I really pressed that because I didn't know this. I didn't know that we lost more people in the Civil War than any other war we've ever been in. World War II, we lost about 400,000. 600,000 in the Civil War. And there were only 31 million people in the United States. So imagine a creative, a philosophic light like Longfellow that sees what is happening. No wonder, he says, in despair, I bow my head. But goes even deeper than that. It was his own life. I had heard that he'd had troubles, but until I did the research, I just didn't know how bad. Right after the Civil War had started, he had a beautiful wife named Fanny, five wonderful children. And one day, Fanny was working with sealing wax to seal something precious to her. A gust of wind blows through the window, catches her, her dress on fire. She couldn't blot it out. She runs into the next room where, where Henry was. And, and he takes a rug and he tries to put out the fire and she's literally in flames on her body. And he wraps himself around her and suffocates the flames in so doing, burning his face very badly. We've got a picture of him here. This is a long fellow toward the end of his life. You never saw him without facial uh, whiskers. And it wasn't just because beards were popular. It's because his face was so scarred, his hands. But he couldn't save her. And about 12 hours after that fire, she died. That was, that was when a war was raging. Two years later, his firstborn son joins the Union Army without Longfellow approving of it. But he can't stop it. And his son goes to war and he gets typhoid and he gets malaria. And then he gets shot through the, the arm and several of his vertebrae are crushed so that he's crippled the rest of his life. No wonder Longfellow would say, there is no peace on earth. Hate is strong and it mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Well, what do we do with this? What do we do with this, these hopeful promises matched with the reality of, of a world at war, violence and upheaval? Is the Bible just a fanciful wish? Can there be peace on earth? Yes. Notice I said can. I didn't say is. I said can. I want you to look at another passage with me now. And I want you to see where the Apostle Paul gives us the truth about God's plan on how to bring peace on earth. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. It's on page 1157 if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide for you on the seat backs. 1157. This is God's first peace plan for earth. Peace plan on earth. Ephesians 2, 12 through 18. Let me read it if I may. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were foreigners to the covenants of promise. And then this verse really arrests me. You were without hope and without God in this world. Verse 12. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near 
by the blood of Christ. That's really important. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace who made the two groups one and who has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in the flesh the law with its commands and its regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came, he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access to the Father by the Spirit. Thanks be to God for his word. God's peace plan, okay? New humanity. Now, what's in the background here? Some of you know this story. Others of you don't. I'll be brief. When this is being written, there is huge enmity between two people groups on planet Earth. The first are the Jews, and then are the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? Yeah, everybody who ain't Jew, okay? So it's Greeks, it's Romans, it's Indians, it's Chinese, it's, it's places they don't even know exist, but the Jews would think of them as Gentiles. And Jews despise Gentiles. And Gentiles despise Jews for despising Gentiles. And it, man, it's been war and war and war and war and war. It wasn't supposed to be that way. See, the Jews, as the text says to it, were, were those that were already near, specially chosen by God, given His precious Word to help provide guidance for life. And they were intended to receive this and be specially chosen so that they would literally be God's force for good, spreading God to the whole world. But as we often do, we often move from humility to pride. And we move toward a sense of superiority. And so the Jews look down on everyone else. Lesser lights. Even Rome. Even Greece. Hatred, hatred, hatred. But Jesus Christ comes. And Jesus Christ comes. And it says, and this is why I made special reference to it. In verse 13, it ends, something happens by the blood of Christ. See that? Those who were far away, Gentiles, are now brought near by the blood of Christ. And then go down with me a couple of verses there. Right after 16, where it talks about his purpose was to, to create in himself one humanity out of the two, thus making peace in one body, to reconcile them both through the cross, through the cross, by his blood, by his blood, through the cross. It is the death of Jesus Christ that inaugurates a new humanity on planet Earth. Of bringing alienated nations together. The, the, the truth be told, because we are in Christ, those of us that are. We're a part 
of a new world order. We are a part of a new family. We are the new humanity that is to spread peace on the earth. Yeah, there's no more ethnicity differences. There's no more racial differences. I mean, we'd never lose our ethnicity. We'd never lose our race. We're, we're happy about it. We're glad for it. But it doesn't divide any longer. Why? Because we've been, we share one shed blood. Jesus Christ. His death on the cross. Our identity is not through a flag. It's not through a skin color. It's not even through a blood family tie. The new identity is through He who is our peace. We're so much alike. The first thing is we're all forgiven because of Christ. What's great about that? I'll tell you what's great about that. If we all needed to be forgiven, it must mean we're all pretty messed up. And we are. We're all messed up. You know what's great about that? We might as well forget the superiority deal. Because before God, we're all messed up. And because you're messed up, and because I'm messed up, I know that I can't blame you for your messing up any more than you should mess me with me for my messed up. <laughs> we're all the same. Which allows us to love and help and understand where other people would pull apart. No. It's just who we are. We're all kind of wacky. That's beautiful. Then the second thing, because of Christ, we have a new last name. We've been adopted into a new family. And this family defies geography. And this family defies race. And this family defies ethnicity. It goes core. I, I, I still remember how hard this was for me. 1989, I go to Manila to meet with the global church. I'm just a young guy, and I've been invited into this great celebration, 170 nations. This is 1989. The Russians were coming. Now, some of you can remember this. You were a part of it. I grew up thinking that every Russian had a nuclear bomb in their pocket. Bomb shelters, Cuban Missile Crisis, obliteration a matter of an hour away. Man, it's better to be, somebody told me the first hour I had a, they said I had a bumper sticker. It said, it is better to be dead than be red. Some of you remember this? Now I'm in this global conference of God's people and they're introducing Russians, are there? Gads. Can't be. Of course it can. Because they've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. A few years later, I would go to Moscow, where I'm teaching and preaching with red people. <laughs> and I can't believe how I loved them. 
and how they loved me. They saw a likeness in me, and I saw a likeness in them, and you know what it was? Jesus Christ. It's a new humanity, everybody. And Paul is saying here that God's purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, making peace, reconciling both to God through the cross. And it says he put to death the hostility. Wow. So now the new humanity is that which carries out preaching peace to those who are far away and peace to those that are near. When I think just about what our little church does, and I, we're, I mean, we're big church in the sense of one place, but we're just one small speck on the new humanity chart. And I think of the things that we're able to do for the world, the good we're able to bring, the peace we're able to help with, the clothing we're able to provide, the shelter we're able to give, the gospel we're able to proclaim. Ah, this was God's way. Peace on earth, goodwill to men comes as the new humanity exhibits the new life and takes it everywhere in the world. That's why we're here. I, I tell you the truth, I don't ever expect the U.S. government to be able to get peace between the Palestinians and the Jews. It's not going to happen. They're trying. They're doing their best. But it's far more than a political issue. It's core. And until the core of those human beings discover Jesus Christ, there will be no hope. And so does the government need to be there? Yeah, but even more, the church of Jesus needs to be there. Helping Palestinians come to Jesus. Helping Israelis come to Jesus. And we're seeing it. We're seeing it. We're seeing reconciliation. It's us, guys. I know this is not fully satisfying. <laughs> uh, I know you wanted to hear a, a peace plan that was going to say, on such and such a date and time, everything wrong will be made right. And you know what? It will. But until then, God's plan was his new humanity heading out, bringing peace. Bringing peace to our neighborhoods and to our nations. Thank you, Lord. I still find myself hoping, however. I still can't get away from the longing of what I call peace plan number two. And that is that great and glorious day when God will say to all of us who are his new humanity, good job, everybody. I'll take it from here. And he will come. And as I go to the Christmas candles... Because I have the great privilege today, being a Christmas nut myself, to light the first candle of Christmas. May I read what that new day is going to be like when the King of Kings says, 
thanks for all you've done. I'll take it from here. It says to us, first of all, in Isaiah chapter 11, this is what it will be like. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. And the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. There will neither harm nor destroy be anywhere on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Wow. And that same Isaiah will say later in his 55th chapter, this coming of Jesus will even change nature and creation. You will go out in joy. You'll be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into singing. They will burst into song before you. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. Instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. The day will come when everything wrong will be made right. And with that hope, we who are the new humanity, we come to Christmas again. Longfellow, after he had written the third verse about despair and no peace, then wrote the fourth. I'm going to sing it for you, and then we're going to gather together and sing. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, good will to man. That day is coming. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Lead us, God.